All right, blessed Orangewood, as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, on this Mother's Day, we're going to take a slight detour of our study in Genesis, and we're going to look to God's Word in Psalm 119. And if you want to look in the bulletin, you'll see that the title of my sermon is this, How to Raise a Normal Kid in a World Gone Mad. Has the world gone mad? Are we not living in crazy times? And so the question that God has pressed upon my heart is uh, that we're going to look to God's word to answer is how to raise a normal child in a world gone mad. Now, listen, first of all, I got to make a, a big disclaimer for those of you who think, great, I'm not a parent or this doesn't pertain to me. It's not true. We, we are going to open up God's word. We're going to look to God's truth to answer questions that all of us have, issues that we're all wrestling with. So no tuning me out uh, just because you feel like this doesn't apply to you. God has you here for a reason, and he would love to speak to you uh, through his word. So uh, everyone really does need to listen because it's going to be a family, church family message. But I got to tell you. Do you know what I would love to do this morning? I would love to be able to preach one of those feel-good Mother's Day sermons. You know those, you know, that, that we all get here, we're wearing our Sunday best, and, and the pastor just has a couple of really nice, good words about mothers, and, and we all leave here feeling good, and we, we end the service singing, kumbaya, my Lord, you know, and yahoo, and then we go have a great dinner, and we take mom out or whatever, but there are times where that would be important and right, but there's times where that would, that would be an awkward message. There, there are times that we find ourselves in, which I believe like now, times that are so urgent, uh, times that, that are they're so scary, uh, times that are so dark that really for us to just preach a feel-good Mother's Day sermon would be like putting lipstick on a pig. It just wouldn't be appropriate. It'd be kind of like throwing a party in the midst of some really bad news. And so that's not going to be here today. So if you're here and you were hoping you got your guts rest, man, I just want a feel good Mother's Day sermon. Let me encourage you to take the outline. You maybe can uh, like make a shopping list or a to-do list or some notes or whatever you have. You, you go ahead. Uh, but for the rest of us, I really believe God wants to speak to us. All right. How to raise normal kids in a world gone mad. My first question is this. Does anybody really want a normal kid right now? Preparing for this message, I try to look to statistics to bolster my uh, uh, support of the fact of what's happening in our culture. I went mostly to Orange and Seminole County sites, uh, looking at what our kids are plagued with, looking at the percentage of our kids in middle school sexually active, uh, the number of our kids who are, who are uh, experimenting with drugs, uh, marijuana, and other things. Uh, to look at where our kids are when it comes to belief in God. And I'm telling you, the statistics are alarming. And church, let's don't be naive to think that those are out there. Okay? This is in here. There's a sin problem in my heart. There's a sin problem in your heart. There's a sin problem in the church. 
There's a sin problem in our, our community, in our state. The good news is, is that Jesus can defeat it. And he has, and he is, and he will. But let's don't be naive that we're talking about somebody else today. We're talking about us. And there's a battle. And there's a battle. And if you want to hold up what a normal kid is battling with right now, I'm telling you, I don't want them. I don't want normal kids. I mean, all of us want above normal kids. But the question really is going to be, what is going to be our standard for normal? What are we going to measure where we're shooting for? If you look along in the bulletin, you'll see an outline there. And the first thing I want to say is we're way past compromise. We're just way past compromise. What do I mean by that? I mean, the reality is, is, is I want to live my life. And I think as a 47-year-old man, I've lived much of my life with all that the world can influence and all the world can give me not really affecting my Christianity. Let me say it another way. I've wanted the best the world has to offer and the best that Jesus has to offer. And I've somehow lived my life at times thinking I could have both. I believe that day is over and maybe that day never was really here. You see, being comfortable with the world and not compromising with our God is no longer possible. Do you hear what I just said? I truly believe that being comfortable in this world and not compromising with God is no longer possible. That we are going to be one or two things. We're going to be comfortable in a world that's gone crazy and compromising, or we're going to stand by God's grace to his truth, his word, and his gospel and be uncomfortable in this world. I mean, the reality of my life, I don't know about yours, is I want to eat junk food and have a great body. (laughs) I I want to watch TV and be in great shape, you know? And let me just tell you the truth. I want all the world has to offer and still be a man of God and still be a man of faithfulness. But I believe that it's harder and harder to do. Christians, we are swimming upstream and it's not going to get any easier. We live in a post-Christian world. And listen, I, I, I kind of watch, especially church trends, what's happening. And Florida is usually in a little bit of a bubble. We're kind of sometimes behind things. And I don't know about you, but I always feel good about that. Some of the struggles that the, out, the other parts of the world or the country are having seems to come to us a little slower. Not true. We live in a post-Christian world even here. How about that factory collapse in Bangladesh? I mean, is that not about those horrific news as we can hear? That, that conditions are so bad and the lack of standards are so uh, woeful that there's, listen, that there's going to be a collapse of a factory that's going to take a thousand lives. That a thousand people are going to be lost basically because of the greed of men and money and the lack of a structure and system that will provide safety for his employees. And what's the response to, for all of us, all of humankind, when we hear of things like Bangladesh that happens? There's an outcry. And what's the outcry is, it's, something's got to change. We just can't have it like this anymore. There's too many people being killed. We look at the structure that we have right now in our society, in our churches, And the number of our kids who are being killed by the temptations of society, the number of our children and our families that are dying without Christ, and the, the, the casualties are all around us. 
And church, we should stand up and say, we can't take it anymore. Something has to change. We have to protect those we love the most. I want to start with a couple of, uh, again, uh, make sure that we see clearly a couple caveats here. We shouldn't want change in society of our children's lives for moral reasons alone. We shouldn't want to just affect their behavior because of who God is and because of the good news of his Christ. We want to change for gospel reasons. You see, what really is happening here is we don't want just a a change in morality. There's got to be a change in our heart. There needs to be a change in our hearts. There needs to be a change in our young people's hearts. I think the, uh, the day is, is gone that we can offer a certain type of Christianity to our children that maybe that we received. I think that our, we want to offer our kids a version of the Christianity that truly doesn't exist. It's a safe and benign Christianity. I think that what we really want to do is be able to tell our kids that you can have it all. You can have all the world has to offer and still have Jesus. But I got to tell you, It's not true. They can't. We cannot offer a Christianity that doesn't cost. There's no such thing. We cannot offer a Christianity a faith that does not have consequences. It will in a world God mad. And Christianity is not about a relationship without ramifications. Do you know what I love about this word? It's an amazing word. We're going to look at this word. It's going to ask a question. Here's the question it's going to ask in verse 9. How does a young man keep his way pure? Is that not a good question for today? I mean, how does a young man keep his way pure today? Do you know that the cesspool that is running through our homes, through our internets? Uh, do you know the temptations that, that are fighting and plaguing our young men? It's amazing. I was on a men's retreat last weekend with the men of our church, and we talked about this. We talked about where did you have to go to, to, to find sexually explicit images? How far did you have to run? Or to the outskirts of town? That's where they were. But do you know that they're just pouring into our homes 24 hours a day, seven days a week? How in the world can our young men and women, how can they do it? How can they keep their way pure? The the question was asked way back when, and it's so relevant for us. To answer that question, we're going to have to look at these things. The gospel has to captivate our hearts. How does a young man keep his way pure? How does a mom, a dad, or anybody else keep his way pure? Is that the gospel burns right here. The reality of a God who is and a God who loves and a God who forgives and a hard pursuit after the gospel. It's got to begin with us. There's no way that I'm going to stand up here and just basically aim at your kids. Because parents, we got to start with us. This gospel's got to start with our own hearts. And here's the third reality. we got to aim at our children's hearts, not their feet we got to aim at their hearts, where their hearts are with the Lord, not their feet and where they are morally. They're going to stray. They're going to make mistakes. You did. I did. And if we just aim at their feet, we've missed it. we got to pursue the high life. Here's some really good news. Preacher's on a fire today, it looks like, and he's talking about things that are going to might be a little bit ruffling feathers. But I want you to know that God wants you to pursue the high life. He's made you for it. But we're going to try to find out what does that actually look like? What is the true life? high life. And lastly, how do we do this together? 
So as we look at all those things, let's look to God's word. Let's look to uh, Psalm 119 because we will find the answers in him and him alone and his word and his word alone. Um, and give us hope for today um, and a really a bright future for tomorrow. Psalm 119, 1 through 16. Put your seatbelt on because here's what it says. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk in the law, who, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I will not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How'd that feel so far? Wow. Let's now look to 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure or a young woman? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let us pray. Father God, as those words are read, in my flesh, my heart begins to sink. And if it wasn't for the reality of your grace and the work of your son, I'd want to close my Bible and run out of here. Because you say those who are blessed are those who are blameless. And that's not the preacher. I love you, Jesus. And I want to be. But you know the truth. And the gospel allows me not to hide. So God, this is for all of us. This isn't just for the mothers. And this isn't just for the fathers. And this isn't just for the students and the children. This is for all of us. Because this is your word. And we have to know what it is that you require of us. And how do we find that? I love the fact that it's going to be about grace and faith in Jesus. So Jesus, come and give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts that believe. And God, would you come with such grace and power and truth and clarity that we will be like the psalmist and we want to walk in your ways and worship you with upright hearts. Only you could do that. Speak to each one of us. For your glory we pray. Amen. First thing I want to see is this. Is it starts with us. My brothers and sisters, parents, adults. It starts with us. We are to pursue the God-blessed life. Of all the things you pursue. Your name, your reputation, your 401k. Of all the things that you and I pursue to find life according to God's word, is the greatest pursuit of our lives. The greatest passion should be a gospel-blessed life. 
In Psalm 119, it keeps on saying, blessed, 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 blessed are those who pursue after a gospel-blessed life. Here's the first thing I want to say, especially to young people. God is not trying to keep us from blessing. God is not a cosmic killjoy. God is not trying to keep us from enjoying and tasting the world and missing out on something that will give us life. He wants to give you blessing. He wants to give you life. And he lovingly will point us to the only place that we can find blessing. The only place that we can find life is in him and him alone. You see, the world is going to offer you blessing. The world will offer you delight. And I would love to be a pastor who could stand up and say, what the world has to offer won't feel good. What the world has to offer won't taste good. What the world has to offer won't bring you some happiness and joy. I'd be lying to you. I mean, sin is pleasurable for a season. And the world will offer you something that will make you feel alive for a moment. But the reality is this. Listen, it's so true. The world can never offer you something that won't ultimately bring you shame, that won't ultimately bring you death and separation from him. That, that season of sin will wear off and eventually you're going to be in a worse place uh, because of it. And God wants to offer you more. You see, the good news of the gospel is this. It allows us to delight in God's word because why? The gospel reveals God's character and it tells us how God wants us to live. So as we look at this, it begins with us. We need to pursue hard after a gospel less life. But the gospel allows us to seek God with our whole hearts. How? Because the good news of what God has done for sinners like us is that he makes us new in Christ Jesus. That we're new creations. We have been given a new heart. And this new heart now has the ability to pursue hard after God. Let's look again in Psalm 119. It says this. Blessings are for those who are blameless. Can anybody raise their hand and say, yay, I'm blameless. I have God's blessing. In verse 2, it says this. Blessings are for those who keep God's testimony. Anybody here can say, I've kept God's testimony perfect? I know I can't. Verse 3 says, blessings are those for who do no wrong. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It seems like God's blessings are unobtainable. Let's go after the blessings of the world. The good news of the the gospel is this. Everything God required of us, God provides for us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that good news? Everything that God requires of us, God provides us in Christ Jesus. God requires blamelessness. Why? Because he's blameless. God requires perfection. Why? Because he's perfect. God requires holiness. Why? Because he's holy. All the things were not. Enter the story, Jesus, his son, our savior, God in flesh, who comes and does all that that God requires for us. And so now we can read the word of God and not just be so scared we want to run. Because here's the reality. In Christ Jesus, the blameless one has made us blessed as well. Here's the amazing thing in Christ Jesus. The one who has done no wrong has credited that to our account. Here's the beauty. We can read this and say, those blessings are mine. I deserve not a one. I get every single one. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are ours. How? In Christ Jesus. 
See, that's the gospel. That's the good news is that the blessings and the mercy and the grace of God were not disqualified from. We get. And now we pursue hard after the a God with all of our heart because he loves our heart. He loves our effort and he loves our, our, our pursuit because it's all in Christ Jesus. It's been for us. All that God requires, God provides. Not only that, the gospel allows us to seek God with our whole hearts. The gospel also allows us to worship God with an upright heart. Two things, it's amazing. It says in, in verses six and seven, that we are to worship God with an upright heart. Okay, anybody here have an upright heart ready to worship God? Well, if you're a child of God, you do. How? Because of two things. The first one is this. It talks about shame. You cannot worship God with an upright heart if your life is filled with shame. And you cannot have not have shame. You cannot not have shame. There's a nice double negative. If you have sin. But the reality and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, is that Jesus Christ hung on the cross, not only for our sins, but you ready for this, for our shame. The reason there was a naked savior on the cross is that our shame could be nailed to the cross so that we don't have to live our lives like, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad, I'm so rotten, I'm so terrible, I'm so ugly, I'm so broken. He carried the shame, he covers the shame. And now we can worship him with upright heart. It goes on to say that he has righteous rules, that we can only worship him rightly with the righteous rules being met. Again, swing and a miss here, swing and a miss there. But in Christ Jesus, the righteous rules of God have been met. And so now we can live pursuing hard after God and worship him with an upright heart. He knows the truth. But in Christ Jesus, forgiven, redeemed, restored, it's us. And now our greatest pursuit should be a gospel best life. All right, let's turn to our kids. Aim at their heart, not their feet. You see, it's our kids' heart that's the issue. Don't aim at their feet. We can't focus on their feet. What I mean by that, I'm talking about their actions. We, as parents, we have such a propensity just to look at their moral behavior and, and usually uh, react to that somewhat rightly, oftentimes because of how it reflects on us, how sad. But really, we have to shoot at their hearts. We've got to continue to remind them that God is calling them to a greater story than the world can offer, greater blessings than the world can offer. We plead with God, speak to their hearts, shape their hearts. Yes, we put the word of God into their minds, and then we pray that God would transfer it to their hearts. Everything of our parenting should be aimed not at our kids' moral behavior. It should be aimed at their hearts and their relationship with the Lord. Scripture says, guard your heart. From out of it, all of the life flows. Proverbs 4, 23. Matthew 16, 21 says that where our heart is, there where our treasure will be. How are we doing? I feel like even as a church, we have a propensity to aim at their moral behavior. We have a propensity to aim at their SAT scores, their sports exploits, and miss what's most important, their hearts. You see, in, in, in Psalm 119, in verses 10 and 11, it says this, a heart that is engaged will keep their feet from wandering. What will keep their feet from wandering? It, it, it's a love of Jesus. It's a love for what he's done. Uh, and their heart engaged will keep them from 
heading in the wrong direction. Verses 13 and 14, it says, Out of our mouths come the delight of our hearts. What are coming out of your children's heart, mouths? It'll reveal their hearts. Have you been on their phones? Have you seen their, their, their Facebooks? Have you been in the Instagrams? Do you know what's coming out of our kids' mouths? It's the reality of what's the delight of their hearts. What comes out of yours? What comes out of mine? It's going to reveal to you your condition of your hearts. You see, the gospel is aiming at their, at their delight. May they delight in God. It's aiming at their, their hearts. In verse 16, it says this, the only way we're not going to forget about God's statutes or his way or his will is to delight in God and delight in him. You see, clearly it's a heart issue, not a moral issue. Clearly it's a gospel issue, not a religious issue. And here's the reality. We really aim at their hearts because they're going to blow it just like you. They're going to blow it just like me. They're going to they're make a mess of it just like us. But if we aim at their hearts and not just their feet, they're going to know that there's a God who runs to sinners. They're going to know that when they turn toward home, dad is already on the way to see him. And they know that when they get there, his arms are like this saying, come back. My heart is so big for you, God tells us. I love you. All the blessings are, are ours in Christ Jesus. It's not about your, your feet. It's about your heart. We got to aim for their hearts. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could fireproof our kids? Wouldn't it be great if we could just somehow keep them from getting burned in this sinful world? It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen to your kids. doesn't happen to my kids. doesn't happen to your life. doesn't happen to my life. It's not going to happen. You ready for this? Our kids are going to sin and sin badly sometimes. They're going to mess up just like you did and just like I do. But what will keep them engaged? What will bring them home? The greatest love story of God and his love for them, and his forgiveness for them in Christ Jesus. Aim at their hearts. Second thing is, pursue the high life. I have, listen, especially young people, you gotta hear this. You were created for the high life. You and I were created for more than this. We were created for paradise. We were created to pursue the high life. We're designed to do it. But the question is, where will you find the high life? What will be the goal of your pursuit? What will be the source of your high life? I mean, come on, Miller beer, pursue the high life. It's right there. Have you ever tasted this stuff? Really? That's the high life? Miller? I want to talk to the students for a minute. Your desire to pursue the high life is not a wrong desire. Let me say it another way. Your desire to want more is not wrong. I mean, you've come to the point where you realize there's something that you need that maybe you're not getting and you want to pursue after it. Your desire and your pursuit is not wrong. It's normal. But you're often desiring and pursuing the wrong thing. All right, young people. Are Mumford & Sons not like the best band ever? I mean, I play them all the time. I mean, they got great stuff. But that, that song, Roll Away, Your, Roll Away the Stone, listen to this, these lyrics. You told me that I would find a hole within the fragile substance of my soul. And I filled this void with things unreal. And all the while, my character, it steals. There is a hole in all of us. 
God created us for paradise. He created us for the high life. Pursue hard after it. But don't fill the void in your soul, the hole in your soul with what the world has to offer of sex, drugs, beer, whatever. Listen, God wants to give you phenomenal sex in marriage. He wants to give you a phenomenal life here in Christ Jesus. Pursue the high life. The high life's Jesus. All the world's gonna offer you is something to fill the hole that'll be like battery acid that creates a bigger hole. It's temporary, young people. It's temporary. And all it will do is leave you craving more and leaving you void and robbing you, robbing you of your character. You see, it's not that our kids are smoking pot and, and having sex that breaks my heart the most. It's a keep pursuing what the world has to offer above God. And God wants to offer him in us so much more. Pursue the high life. Aim at the heart. Begin with us. And lastly, stand united. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know this, if this is news to you, oh my. Church, we are in a battle. We are in a battle of a society gone crazy. And it's affecting all of our kids. And don't you think for a minute that you and I are exempt. We have to stand together. Do you know what this enemy would love to do with us? Satan would love to separate us. Satan would love this to happen to your kid. Mess up, screw up, do something bad, maybe really bad, bring shame, you think, to the family name, and somehow that your response should be put your head down and don't tell anybody because it's a family disgrace. You know what the Satan would love to do is separate us. To think that somehow your family's going through something that my family's not going through or somehow that, that other people are exempt. Let me tell you, that's not what Christ wants us to do with raising our children. He wants us to be able to link arms together, stand together and say, this is our battle together. We had a baptism in the early service and uh, as you know, when we baptize covenant children, the last vow we take is together. We raise our hand. We say, we will try everything we can to help raise this child in the love and fear and admonition of the Lord. We raise our hand. And I think the reality, listen to this, I think the reality of raising our hand to say we're going to help raise each other's children is to raise our hands to say we need help too. To raise our hands and say, you know what? My kids are struggling. My, my, kids, my kids got issues. Raise our hands and say, we're in a major battle together. And let's just link arms. As I, as I studied this and thought about what this looks like, it's uh, the image that came to my mind is that we got to make gospel sandbags. <laughs> that together is a current running in the wrong direction. That together, each family uh, filling up a, a sandbag of the gospel. I mean, just to, to say, we're going to pursue hard after what God's best is for us. And we're going to aim at the hearts and, and we're going to do it together because you know what? We're fighting for what's so precious to us, our own kids, our church. And we're going to stand together and fill those stand bags for the glory of Christ. If you're struggling, don't you think for a moment you're alone. We're in a battle, church. But God offers us so much more. 
We're going to end the service with the days of Elijah. Do we hear an amen? Man, we love that song. I mean, it's like the Orangewood anthem for some reason. But the, the days of Elijah is this. It says that there was a guy named Elijah that one day in his day had to fight prophets of Baal. And he had to stand up on a place called Mount Carmel and stand up for God against all odds. And in a, in, a, in a life that had gone crazy and to stand up and pursue hard after God. And this song, Days of Elijah, is basically saying this. We gotta be the church. We gotta pursue the high life, but that's the gospel. It's gotta start with us. We gotta aim at the hearts. And today is our day to make those gospel sandbags for the glory of Christ and say, we're here. And we may not feel comfortable anymore in the world, but we're not called to compromise to our God. And for the glory of God, delight in him and his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I love the fact that you love sinners like us. Oh, how patient you are. Oh, how merciful you are. And oh, how beautiful your son is. God, there's not a better high life than your life. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. He came to do that which you required of us that we failed to do so that we can be blessed. He came to be cursed so that we don't have to be. It's amazing. But Jesus, you didn't save us of our sins just to let us go back into a world and live and try to find the high life there. You saved us and you called us to holiness. You called us to imitate your son. You called us to be foreigners and strangers in this world. You called us to a particular, unusual type of lifestyle that loves you most and loves neighbor as self. You called us to find our name and our identity in you. And you called us to find our joy in following hard after you. And God, that's a calling that you, you've given us that couldn't be any higher or any better, and that's the high life. And the truth is, as we sing the song, that you're enough. All of you is more than enough than all I need or want. And yet, I live my life like that's not true. Forgive us. Father, I pray for the student right now that's lost pursuing the high life. Remind him of a father that runs to meet their needs. Be gracious to tell them that what they're trying to fill that hole with won't work. Father, as, as, as parents, as adults, may we quit pursuing the high life apart from the gospel. Forgive us. Our kids see the truth. They know what we're pursuing. May it start with us. May we aim at their hearts, not their feet. All for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.